You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. I am one of your two hosts. I am Derek, and I've got my buddy Ryan here with me. Hi. How's it going, buddy? It's going good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We've got a different kind of movie for us to talk about this week. This week, we are talking about the 1994 flick, It Could Happen to You, directed by Andrew Bergman, which is kind of interesting because he also did, uh, he uh, directed um, Honeymoon in Vegas. So, yeah, and this will be a weird one for us because, and you know, the hundreds and hundreds of episodes that we've done together. I don't think we've done any romantic comedies. So that's true. So for those who don't know, Ryan and I have been podcasting together for eight wonderful years on multiple shows and they always were entertainment related, but yeah, I don't think we've ever talked about a romantic comedy in any of that. Probably 300 something episodes that we've done together. Yeah. Probably for good reason too. We'll see how this episode goes. (laughs) So for those who don't know what this movie is about, it's based on a true story loosely. I read into it a little bit. It's loosely based on a true story. But basically, the story is that there is a New York cop and he wins the lottery and splits it with this woman who is a waiter at a diner in New York. And that's the, the story. And that's kind of what the movie here is about. So, you know spoiler warning for this 1994 romantic comedy uh rest of the cast bridget fonda is kind of the co-star of the film she plays the waiter and then you have rosie perez who plays nicholas cage's wife in the film isaac hayes is our narrator uh, well i guess kind of more than a narrator since he's actually on screen at times i'm not i'm sure there's a term for that but uh, Stanley Tucci has a small role in oh, yeah. the film as well. So it's kind of a weird, kind of a weird movie. It's a strange cast, kind of a weird movie. But you re- I saw your face when I was talking about Isaac Hayes. So I just have to ask, what was that reaction? Well, so like at first, when we start seeing the narrator, I instantly thought like, okay, is this like Little Shop of Horrors where there's this one character in that movie i think three characters that are constantly narrating this movie and nobody actually knows that they're there or is this something else and at like one point early on he says my name is angel and i'm like okay so he gave us a name (laughs) so something that has to be relevant to something at some point because otherwise they would i mean i don't know why they would give him a name but you know then in the end it paid I, that whole thing could have just been dropped i thought that was kind of stupid yeah so when he said his name was angel i made the leap and just assumed he's like their an guardian angel. angel yeah right yeah, you know, like angels in the outfield or something because it right. was the early 90s mid 90s so those that was a normal angels thing were in, hot right exactly and so that's where i thought they were going with it i I don't know. I don't know that like it hurt the movie at all because so like it was kind of distracting, right? Like every time anything happened, there's just this random dude that's there. 
but I found it just as distracting as the constant newspaper stuff that gets like more and more in your face <laughs> as the movie progresses. Yeah, like literally they're in New York. Nothing else happens apparently in this city other well, than I, these two people. How many times a day did they put out a newspaper in 1994? Well, and that and like it's kind of ambiguous about the amount of time that happens between a lot of the events in the movie. That's true. So, like, you know, he talks about how he feels like he's going to die or whatever because he retired from the police force. But it, we've always seen him retired for, like, five minutes of the movie. So has it been a year? Has it been a day? Like, we have no idea. Well, yeah, but at the very tail end of the film, when they've got the trial going on, they put out, like, four different newspapers during yeah. the trial. <laughs> I figured they only had one testimony per day. Then they're like, okay, we're spent. We're going to call it for the day. One <laughs> tomorrow we'll come back and our next witness will take the stand. Gotcha. But this is like, it's not even like, oh man, it was, it was just kind of a wild thing. So yeah. So, okay. So we kind of like went deep into it right there, right away. So Nicholas Cage plays officer, Charlie Lang, a uh, police officer who buys a lottery ticket. Cause his wife, wants him to buy a lottery ticket. And he goes into this diner where he meets Yvonne, Bridget Fonda's character. He doesn't have money for a tip. He doesn't really believe in the lottery. He thinks it's a waste of money. So he tells her that he'll come back and he'll split the winnings with her. Thinking he'll probably win like 10 bucks is probably what he's thinking, right? Funny thing I noticed in that scene, he doesn't pay for the coffee. He like he pulls out. He's like, I only have enough for the coffee, not for the tip. And then he doesn't give it to her. He puts it back in his wallet. That's a good catch. <laughs> I was like, so so he gets away with not even paying for the coffee. What the heck? That feels more like a mistake. But yeah, yeah. that's pretty funny. I didn't I didn't notice that. Yeah, that I wrote. Funny. I have some notes that I wrote down, and that was one of them. So that's a good one. I can that's cross that one. one off now. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, she obviously doesn't believe him. She's down on her luck. Right. She's just, you know, she got she had to declare bankruptcy that same morning before this all goes down. So she's she's having a bad time. She thinks he's a liar and she's never going to see him again. But then they win the lottery. Now, look, it's it's fictional, right? They could have made these numbers anything they wanted them to be. So I wish they had made them numbers that made more sense. Yes, I know what you're getting at because I wrote that in my notes, too. So they win the lottery. It was supposed to be what, like 64 million, I think is what it was. And they have to split it with a bowling team from Albany. Now the bowling team gets 9 million. I'm assuming they got 12 people or they say in the movie that, but they say that that's one entity. They make a point to show that they're, they're, they're splitting the 9 million together. Right. Cause they, they paid for one ticket. And so it's one win. Now I, I assume that's because their numbers were slightly more correct then uh because no, they said the they all, they all had the same numbers then why would they get more right and they also <laughs> said that there was like other winners too there was they have to split it with like 13 people or something like that right so yes yeah, so the bowlers get nine langs get four yeah that's all we really know as far as like the amounts we see a couple of other people who i don't believe even get names um and they get four million dollars but he's going to split it with Yvonne. So they each get 2 million. Rosie's furious about the whole thing. So like I, or well, her name's Muriel in the movie. I like Rosie Perez. You know, mo- most, you know, recently, I guess we've seen her like in birds of prey. This role of hers was like the most grating, annoying character that I have watched in a long time. Okay. So let's just to branch off that. Th- I would say that about every character in this movie. They made, they made it such a point 
and I want I actually want to say I really I actually did enjoy this movie, but there was like a lot of weird like I don't know why I enjoyed it. I can't really pinpoint it because they, they made a point to show that every character is just a giant bag of dicks. Like <laughs> when you first meet uh, Yvonne, she's a huge jerk to the officer and to everybody else. And uh, Charlie Lang is like the only guy that's nice, except he's not really nice because he's cheating on his wife. Like you're supposed to root for this guy, but he's clearly in the wrong. Okay. Despite how great he is for everything else in the movie. Like the main heroes are not actually that heroic. They're kind of pieces of crap. I mean, Yvonne says that she hasn't divorced Stanley Tucci because uh, she doesn't have the money. Why isn't that not the first thing that she does once she gets that money? Instead, she goes and buys a diner and stays married to this guy for an ambiguous amount of time because they don't, we have no idea how much time has gone on. So really, like, everybody in this movie is just a giant piece of crap. Like, so far, like, unbelievably bad, right? Like, they're, they're yeah. just such jerks. Rosie Perez, uh, Muriel is terrible. <laughs> She's, like, the worst, right? And then the guy that's going to give her... Uh, uh advice on finances and stuff yeah he's gross. terrible everybody's just so terrible stanley tucci so terrible literally everybody is just so horrible because what i think they did it because nicholas cage's character is so he's not good either but they had to make everybody else worse it's like right. what, what they say that about in peacemaker that he's a bad guy but they had to make everybody else ma- oh, way worse. worse to make him seem like a good guy mm-hmm. yeah no, that's fair like i'm trying to think it through like i'm like i'm desperate to find a good character i think the closest is angel except that he's stalking people without he's their st- knowledge he's, he's lying and he's about taking money he took money from them at the end he's like they're broke but they still gave me money to buy soup or whatever so well, no, he's, and he's been getting free meals like he's because he's he's undercover as a homeless man. And, you know, I know reporters, you know, sometimes did that, you know, but it's it, it's not super great to knowingly do that to people who are already in a bad place and you're taking resources from them when you don't need to. And right. somebody else out there does need that bowl of soup. It's just not you. Right. right? <laughs> um, Instead, you're but, manipulating them into giving you this free food. And, you know, yeah, it's he's, he's a bag of dicks, too. Literally everybody in this movie is a bag of dicks. Well, and Lang. So Charlie, uh, Nicholas Cage's character, Charlie Lang, he's he's even worse than you're saying, too, because towards the end of the movie, he kind of goes off the handle a couple of times. Yeah. Like through he, an hour and a half of this movie, he's a pretty chill guy right he may not be a he may not be doing the right thing but he's he's even he's chill he doesn't and then he physically assaults his wife and and he yells at another part too after that um so it's not even like a one-off where he just got overly frustrated at this divorce situation right it's not even that he does it another time so it's like he has a short fuse so what's going on behind those closed doors that we don't know about that caused this marriage to become where it is Right. Yeah. Muriel might be shallow. Right. She might be a snob. Right. But Charlie certainly looking like uh, he has some other anger issues that he has to deal with that are a whole different problem. Yeah. Um, but but that's the that's the thing. Right. Like it's it's a it's a romance. Right. It's a romantic comedy. You're supposed to root for Charlie and Yvonne this whole time. And it is hard to root for them at various points. I. I don't know. I had it's a funny, hard if you time. Go look, if you go look at like the reviews for this movie, it's a lot of people that really love this movie. They're like nine out of 10. It's the greatest. It's a great romantic comedy. You know, there's no comments about how these people are really terrible people. 
So I don't know. I'm glad you picked up on it too, because I'm like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It, it's difficult because I got like, wh- while I'm watching it, I'm getting those happy feelings too. Right. And so when they end up together, it's this nice kind of sweet thing, right? Everything that happens at the plaza. Right. So at the plaza, they both unknowing to the other decide to spend the same night at the plaza. And I'm, sh- I don't know if they got the rooms, the adjoined rooms on purpose or not. We kind of skip that scene. They were they- adjoined. Yeah, that's how she's like in the same hallway. He just walks down the hallway to her room. No, that's not what happened. She knocks on the interior door. He opens it up and she's standing there and that's her room. There's no hallway. It didn't look like an interior door. That was like the hallway. The door did. But when you opened it, it was her room. There was because the hallway was massive between the two rooms. I mean, I guess it's not really important in the long run, but yeah. No, but so they end up at the plaza in these two rooms and you know it's it seems like this romantic sweet thing now at this point charlie's been kicked out and he's still married right he's still married he's been kicked out muriel wants a divorce but she didn't spend her money to get one but they're not divorced yet yeah um but she wants one so i i mean i guess an argument can be made at that point their relationship is functionally over i don't know that that's more of a gray area but up to that point it's it's a problem it's certainly problematic yvonne I mean, I don't know, like, so I don't know how these laws work, right? So if she's married, uh, so Stanley Tucci's character is Eddie. If she's if she's married to Eddie and she gets this money and they don't have a prenup, doesn't he get some of that money too? Yeah, yeah. Why does he even need uh, to to get this the seed money from her or whatever for his business? I mean, I don't, he could I don't just know. take half of her money. Right. But like, then that he, wouldn't have made sense in the context of the movie because at the end she has to give up all the money anyway. She does have to give up all the money. So so he wouldn't have gotten anything then. True. But they just kind of like, they just assume he can't have any. And that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Unless also, she was already like, divorced. But uh, so they order her to give all the money back. Right. Yes. So does she like, just go to the guy that she bought the diner from is like, Hey, can I just have this $40,000 back? Or like the way I assumed it would happen is that she would have to pay this money back over the years, right? Like you'd get a, a judgment. You'd have to pay this back. You can't pay it all immediately. So they put you on a payment plan. So all that money that got sent in and you get these feel good feelings I, I, in my head, I'm like, they're just going to have to pay this money. But I mean, they had, she had a million or $2 million or whatever. Right. Isn't that what it was? Cause she gets 2 million, but we don't so, know how much she spent. That's the problem. You're right. But I mean, she didn't she's clearly spent some of it and they said specifically that they got six hundred thousand dollars yes from new york so i'm betting a very large portion of that if not all of it had to be going back to pay muriel i mean it's certainly possible like that's the that's the issue right so like we have no idea what that diner would have cost so right i don't even have a good frame of reference but let's go on the high side let's say it was 200 grand yeah. Right. Cause that's like in the, in the mid nineties, that's what it, you know, it would cost to do like a McDonald's franchise. Right. So let's just pretend it's 200 grand. So even if she owed every penny of that back and she spent, maybe she spent another 200 grand of her own money. Cause keep in mind, like she's eating this one jar of macadamia nuts that she's so proud that of. That never actually goes down. Well, right. They're- but like she buys this one jar and she really like, that's really important to her. Right. So it feels to me like she's not like, on a spending spree like Muriel is. Well, except that they rented the ballpark, right? Maybe that was just Nick Cage's character. That's they, true. They they uh, went to the subway and just gave away money to untold amount of people to get their subway tokens, which would get pretty expensive after a while. 
I guess I don't know what a subway ride cost in 1994. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, but that's what they showed. Yeah. They also paid for transportation for these kids to and from this ballpark, uh, you know, whatever else. I mean, there's probably a good amount of money there. I'm saying that if you got two million, six hundred thousand is not a lot. No, no, no. It's certainly not. I'm just thinking that, like, if the restaurant was two hundred and she spent another two or three hundred on her own, then they still that covers what she owes back. And so they she at least has the restaurant and then they're even at that point. For those that are just tuning in, this is Derek and Ryan analyze the math behind <laughs> Nick Cage movies. I think that's enough analyzing right, that's there. Fair. But but yeah, that's I fair. mean, I think that I, I don't know. I just thought it was silly that this New York thing is supposed to be so heartwarming, and they're probably just going to end up giving all that money to Muriel anyway, or at least a very good chunk of it. Yeah, I mean, it, that's what one of the main problems with with like trials and movies in general is that a lot of it's really glossed over so like yeah she has to pay the money back great but there's no talk about how that needs to happen right right and then we don't really need to know that either i mean i don't know i it wouldn't have added to the plot for me to know oh they're gonna pay for five years in monthly installments you know it does matter though because at the tail end of the movie this does one of those wrap-up things where it's like where did everybody end up like it's a high school you know film or whatever and we find out that mural is totally scammed by this gross guy the old guy that she meets on the boat so they go on this big boat thing with i guess lotto winners i don't know yeah that's weird uh, Nick Cage, uh, Charlie Lang misses the boat because he goes to help Yvonne and they miss the boat. But his wife, Muriel, is on the boat and she is you know, whining and dining and all that. And she meets this older guy, Jack Gross, who is talking suave like he knows money and investments and all this other stuff. So I guess they end up together yeah. at the end and he swindles her out of all of the money. So the trial matters because if Yvonne has to pay back over time, then at least Muriel is going to get some money. That's true. Right. So she like, but, but it says that she's broke living back when with her mother, the audience, does the audience really care about Muriel at the end of the movie? I mean, I didn't, I cared enough that I was kind of glad she got something like, you know, like coming back at her, you know, cause she's, she's awful the whole time to like totally innocent people. I loved when they have like the random shot of like Nick Cage standing next to this painting that somehow at some point she had commissioned of herself hanging on the wall. (laughs) And he's just like every, he doesn't move from this one spot. And the camera has like it perfectly framed this painting of her and him standing next to it. And then he like looks back in shock at one point at it. Oh, it was so good. That that goes back to your conversation about how much time passes because she guts the entire apartment seemingly maybe buys the one next to it it felt like and just totally guts the whole thing that takes a long time yeah and there's a lot of money so maybe it's like i don't know six months maybe goes by in this movie i don't know it's hard to say i don't know um another terrible thing that nick cage's character does is like early on in the beginning when they're trying to establish him as a good guy uh uh-huh he randomly has no consent and goes and grabs and picks up a blind man crossing the street, throws him over his shoulder and takes him to the other side of the street. Yeah. Instead of you're yeah. a cop, blow your whistle, stop cars and just tell this man, he can still hear you. Hey, uh, there's cars coming. Let's, let's <laughs> I'll, I'll guide you across the street. Instead. He just randomly like chucks him over his shoulder, like no warning. I mean, I, that's certainly not what I would have done. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it was weird. It was a weird choice. It was a weird scene. There's there's a lot of weirdness in this movie, though. So, like, 
there's this whole little montage, I guess, of Yvonne and Charlie kind of like doing their not dates, right? Yes. And there's the rollerblading one or whatever, where he starts going down this hill, I guess. It was just a trail, really. And then he ends up like 20 feet into a lake. Right. That's super shallow. <laughs> yeah. Just, that so felt right like a little time, much. Right around that time, I put the note, aren't they celebrities? Wouldn't everyone know that they're cheating? And then they cover that. Luckily, they start showing newspapers showing that they're cheating. But it took a while. They went on a lot of dates before anything was reported where everybody is supposed to, supposedly recognizing these people. No, I know. think the first time it comes out is the night of the cruise because the two of them end up at this romantic exactly. restaurant, you know, dressed you know, for black tie. And there's a wedding going on that they just kind of like listen to and watch. And so they decide to dance to the music that's at the wedding. And there's photos of that. So, yeah. All this other stuff happened before that. It is a really weird situation. And Yvonne clearly is into Charlie. There's no question about that at all from the very beginning. Was the Muriel Charlie relationship believable for you at all? Do you like in the beginning go, okay, I can picture these two being married and loving each other. I think that's a little hard because it's, it seems like these people are at the end of a bad relationship. So it's hard for me to picture, well, what did that look like when it wasn't was good? Well, what the personalities that you see throughout this movie made, made me go, there's no way I'm buying that these two are ever in love. Like their personalities are so opposite. She values a lot of material things. He values being good person, allegedly. Theoretically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't buy it at all. My, my it, only take on that is that it felt like you know, they got together really young. And they both probably thought the other one she was, was his. Change. She was his first. Right. So, you know, she thought he was going to get a better job. He thought that she would, you know, become a better person or whatever, you know, and they just thought the other person would change. I did think it was funny that they made the point that he was a virgin until he met her. What, what relevance did that have on anything in the story, except to show that he's like kind of uh, under a rock as far as relationships go. Well, I actually thought it had more to do with painting that picture of this kind of like pure character, mm, right? This is yeah, another thing in the good guy column is that he didn't sleep around. He's not a player, right? Right, And it's kind of, it's overshadowed by all of the other stuff, but I think that that's what that was there for. Yeah. You know, he, hero right. cop who's only been with his wife, you know, that kind of old story. I have two more notes. Okay. If you'd like to hear them. I would love to hear them. The first one says Nick Cage peak handsome. <laughs> this is probably the most physically attractive he was in film. I mean, he was really good looking in this. They did a really good job of the lighting. I mean, he was a, he not that he isn't attractive, but like this movie really wanted him not to be like a crazy character. They wanted him to be like a very uh, charming, handsome male lead. It was not like your typical kind of what we think of now as a KG role. I well, mean, he's he kind was, of like a regular guy. Yeah. You know, and he comes across very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of very accessible. Yeah. Relatable. You know? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and he, he seemed, I was, I wouldn't say he was at his peak physically in this one in terms of like his build, but he was, he had definitely worked out for this role and was like in a, in really good shape. I'm pretty sure cops don't get issued shirts that are that tight. 
I mean, if you look at his partner, his partner had like super baggy clothes and then he's walking around and like it's clinging to his shoulders and his body. It's a little weird there. But yeah, he he looked really good in this movie. So speaking of his partner, so his partner is Wendell Pierce. Uh, he plays Bo Williams, Officer Bo Williams. And he's like, he's an almost unnecessary character. He doesn't really add anything to the story or the narrative. He's just there for, for Nick Cage to talk to. Well, he's there to reinforce how good of a guy Nick Cage is, basically. That's true. The whole time. He's like, it, when Nick Cage is like trying to decide if he's going to give her the money or whatever, he's like, I'll know you're going to do the right thing. And it's okay. We get it. You're you're just ad- adding more to this character, telling us how good he is because he always the does same, the right thing. At the same time, he comes off as not a good person himself because he's all like what he would do with the money, and it sounds kind of selfish. And it's very selfish, yeah. You know, I did think it was funny though. So at, near the end, when uh, Charlie is kicked out of the of the apartment by Mural, he does spend at least a couple of nights at the Williams apartment. And I just thought it was hilarious that nowhere in that place do they have a regular blanket for him. He yeah, has he to has to li- he's on like this tiny sleeping bag that's like a <laughs> not even child size. It's like below child size and his feet are hanging off the end and he has to use a kid's blanket that only covers from like his nipples to like his shins. That was the sleeping bag. That was, oh, he was had, it? it was a zipped up sleeping bag that he was using as a blanket. So first off, he could have unzipped it. That would have right. at least helped. Right. But it's for like an eight year old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Uh, we know, I don't mean, I don't even know if we learned his wife's name. They could have at least floated it. Like Nick Cage, when he had all that money, could have at least floated him enough money to buy some blankets or something like. Right. Just be a friend. I mean, you bought him season tickets, but you can't afford to buy him blankets blankets for uh, for his house. Come on. Or just get your own blanket, man. He could have just know. got his own blanket and left it there. Seems like yeah. the season tickets might not have been the best idea. And it might have been like a $500 gift card to Target or something <laughs> would have been better. Well, that was the thing, right? Like this guy didn't want anything for his family at all. He wanted floor seats. Floor and then he didn't the even mix. get him floor seats you're telling me you can't swing floor seats come on dude you're on every newspaper on the front page for every day for like weeks no that's who you know i guess <laughs> so i have What's one you... more note what is it there is something else i do want to talk about before i get to this note though because this note oh, is okay. kind of about the end of the movie so <laughs> there's a scene where uh muriel is talking to jack on the boat mm-hmm. And he says something kind of flirtatious to her. And she says something about him being a tiger. Yeah. Right. You remember that? Do you remember the noise he made after she called him that? Yes. Is that what, is that what that actor thinks a tiger sounds like? (laughs) Because if you, if you watch this movie and you listen to the scene, it's like, like that's the noise he makes. And it's like, I think that was a gremlin. Yeah. Is that what he thinks a tiger sounds like? I, I was flabbergasted that that actually made it in. So nobody was like, should we tell him what a tiger sounds like? No, this is way better. This is way better. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they only had one take to do it in. I guess. Yeah. I don't know, man. But that, but that's, that speaks to Rosie though, because she stayed in character. She nailed it. You know, that's true. It, she didn't break. So that's true. I mean, maybe that's what Rosie thinks a tiger sounds like too. So I don't know. They brought some sick tiger on set to as an example. <laughs> yeah, and so they're like, this reference. must be it. And it's like coughing and like, oh, typical tiger noises right there. That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, oh, boy. 
All right. My last note. Okay. And I, I don't know if you caught this or not. You might because you're a fan too. Did you notice any interesting locations when they were going around showing all the New Yorkers collecting money and putting them in envelopes to send to uh, the uh, Yvonne and Charlie? I didn't, but I have a theory as to what I missed. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> Did they really show the, the firehouse? The Ghostbusters firehouse. Oh, Hook and it. Ladder 8. They literally go from the sign that says Hook and Ladder 8. And they drop down and show the firefighters outside the firehouse uh, stuffing money into uh, envelopes. I I, it was like a it. blink and you miss it. You know, they're doing like a montage. So yeah. it's like a blink and you miss it thing. But it was definitely there. And I, I was uh, talking to my girlfriend while we were watching it. And I was like, I wonder if Derek caught that because he might. I didn't. I missed I, it. I'm super disappointed in you, to be honest. Yeah. No, I missed it. He probably blinked. I mean, I'm not going to lie. By by that point in the film, my interest was wavering. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. My interest was rekindled immediately for like two seconds. Because like when the trial ends and they lose all the money, there was this moment where I was like, oh, man. So like it's not like a super happy ending. That's kind of cool. Movies don't usually take this is a you know more risky approach. And then they totally undo all of that by having all of these strangers in New York send 600 grand to this restaurant. Right. That they're going to immediately have to pay back to, to uh, yeah, Muriel. But they get to keep the restaurant, so. Yeah, somehow. I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know. That's his, fine. His cop salary is paying for it, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, who knows? So, um, I mean, other kind of fun little things. The There's a moment where Muriel buys his big fur coat. And she comes out of the store and there's one of those protests against wearing fur, you know, the animal cruelty groups and things like that. And this woman throws red paint all over Muriel, you know, to signify, you know, blood and all that. That actor is Emily Deschanel of Bones and sister to Zoe Deschanel. It was her very first role ever. And she didn't do anything else for six years. after. That. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Claim to fame. Right. That's an interesting way to get started. Another fun fact. Arnold was supposed to be uh, Nick Cage's role in this movie, but instead he did Last Action Hero. So I, I really wanted to talk about that because I saw that, too. And so first off, I think he made the right choice because Last Action Hero is so much better than people give it credit for. But could you like what would this movie have been? It would have been a comedy. I feel like I feel like if Arnold had done it, it would have been more comedy and it would have been. Um, Ivan Reitman that directed it probably instead. And it would be, it'd been along the same vein as like twins, mm. junior kindergarten cop, that kind of thing. It would have gotcha. been a more humorous approach because there's no way he could have, he didn't have the dramatic chops really to do a movie like this. I don't think. It's just hard to picture him in that kind of role because while, you know, he does have love interests from time to time and he has had, you know, spouses and things like that in films you know, at that point in his career, he hadn't really been like a family man kind of guy, really. And so I guess in my head, I just don't, I don't know. I think it would have been really awkward. Had he it would have been definitely different for sure. I mean, I think at that point he had done some family stuff. I mean, Daddy? yeah, because I think Term Terminator 2 was 91. Um, I'm trying to remember. Well, I guess True Lies wasn't until 94. 
I don't so know. Oh, kindergarten, no, Kindergarten Cop was 1990. I'm pretty yeah, sure. You're right. I forget how. See that. And that's Twins. Such a weird... Twins was before that too. Twins yeah, was no, 80s. You're, you're totally right because like his movie catalog in the late 80s and early 90s is weird as hell. It's awesome. Like he's got some really, really great movies in there. He, but there's some weird shit some too. Of, some of his most iconic stuff is in there, but he just bounces back and forth. Like you got Predator, Running Man, Red Heat, Twins, Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, Terminator 2. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's totally all over the place. But you're right. You're right. He was doing things like that. So that does make a lot more sense now. But also, I think it wouldn't have been nearly as accessible. Like we just said that Nick Cage was kind of an accessible character like we could relate to a character that's just a guy trying to do his job and wants mm-hmm. to do the right thing whereas if you have arnold doing that it's a you know nick cage is very handsome nick cage was pretty muscular in this movie but he wasn't arnold right no, i mean no. that's not really nearly as accessible uh, like an every man kind of feel uh, I mean, that's part of what makes movies like kindergarten cop funny is seeing somebody like it's a fish arnold. out of water yeah exactly yeah yeah and like yeah i mean arnold can play a cop there's no question about that but can he play the romantic unassuming humble kind of character in that role i don't know i mean maybe he can maybe i'm not giving him enough credit but i feel like it would be weird I guess the cheating on his wife part, he'd be okay. With <laughs> oh, too soon. I love you, Arnold, but oh, hey, man, you got a pass. Damn. Yeah, damn. I don't think he's going to listen to this, so we don't have to worry about it. I mean, it's unlikely, but, you know, the odds aren't zero, Ryan. That's true. Okay? <laughs> That's true. And like I said, I apologize, Arnold, if you do listen to this. I love you a lot, but come on. Fair enough. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean... The movie, you know, and it kind of gets the happy ending. I don't really like sum up montages at the end of films showing you where the characters end up. I've never been a fan of that. And it, it I didn't like it here either. You, you find like, you know, it just throws up on the screen what happens to everybody, you know, and it's just kind of boring. Yeah. Unnecessary. It is. It, it feels like, you know, you could have just had. 15 more minutes of movie to show some scenes of these things happening but instead you've got your narrator just telling us and it's fictional anyway so i mean fine that's fine another bad thing about yvonne if we if we're gonna go to that is she talks about how her she had a puppy that died of parvo yeah man even in the early 90s there was uh vaccinations that puppies can get against parvo so she adopted a dog without any money to get a vaccination and let it die of parvo. So that's a dick move. Yeah, that's messed up. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I don't think we need to keep throwing no, up all the messed no. up stuff they do. But yeah, that one was stood out to me too. I'm like, man, what the heck? I will say this. One of the weirder things for this movie for me was seeing Stanley Tucci with hair. I don't know. Not much. True, but I don't know that I've ever seen him with hair before. But he was the most stereotypical character ever. Like, he, yeah. I did not really enjoy him specifically in this role. I I think that he, he was totally unnecessary. Like, knowing that the character existed out there, I think, was enough. I don't right, think we they ever needed just, to meet him. She could have just said, oh, he's trying to blackmail me out of 50 grand or whatever, and then that right. would have been enough. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to see him like shirtless wandering around the apartment. Like there was a scene, yeah, specifically to show his abs. He was sitting like in a at an angle so that his abdominal muscles were glistening with the moistness of the shower. He just took. He looked good. He looked great. 
he looked, he looked great. Yeah, no, no hate on him, but I mean, it was just totally unnecessary. I think maybe they were trying to appeal to that to a demographic that would like to see that a little bit. I mean, I don't know because you don't get a lot of shirtless Nick Cage in this one. So I mean, that that's certainly true. I just feel like it was just a wasted role because you could have just had some you know somebody record something for the answering machine that she hears and not have to like have it be a full full fledged role. That's all. That's true. I don't feel like it added anything. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm out of notes though, so I think uh, I covered all... most of the stuff that I wanted to cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the rest of the movie it's it's shot in a very kind of normal pedestrian way for a '90s you know romantic flick. Nothing really exciting about the score. There's obviously no need for special effects or anything like that. I guess he does no. jump through a window, a door. Oh glass my door. gosh, he loves tackling people this guy yeah no, he doesn't take anything he doesn't worry about his own life at all he just he, he gets shot in the arm which magically heals really quickly it seems well but again we don't know how much time passes yeah. long enough for a bullet wound to your arm to heal and you be able to use it in full capacity i mean that's gotta be like two three months right you would think where yeah went. i guess we you don't know think. exactly where it hits in his arm but no, but I he does have think. to wander around in a sling for a while. It shows him in a sling. It does show him in a sling. A, that uh, award or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, it does show that. You know, he's walking around with his partner and stuff. So we do. We we know he's hurt and he has to heal. So that's why I'm thinking like the whole movie is maybe like six months. Yeah, probably. No, not really relevant. But it would have been nice if they like had some way of showing us that it's been two weeks. Have one of the characters say, "It's been two weeks since I seen you," or something like that. And uh, you know, it's just a little throwaway line like that. Then we at least have an idea. That's fair. Because I just assumed everything was like the next day, and it seems like everything changed in one day. So obviously, <laughs> it wasn't the next day. Anyway, we're kind of covering the same stuff. Yeah, over we, over we're again. good. We're good. There's not a whole lot else to add to it. So. No. I think we're at a good point to do our cage scale. Okay. So if you didn't listen to our first episode, each time we talk about a movie, we've got the cage scale. And what we're doing is we're rating each movie on two different numbers to create our cage scale. The first is quality of the film, right? Is this an incredible Oscar worthy film or is this like a total crap bc grade don't ever watch it couldn't get through it kind of thing and then we have our cage number and our cage number is is his performance is he you know serious is he you know uh toned down or focused or is he like full-on crazy or is he full-on nuts yeah. Right. That's that scale. And then we will put these on a map for everybody to see on our social media. So these are, we're doing these on a 20 point scale to give room. Cause this guy's been in over 200 movies. We don't want them to all be on top of each other. So on a 20 point scale with 20 being an Oscar worthy film and one being not even worth the dollar bin, where would you put it could only, it could happen to you. Um, I mean, it, you know, despite all the stuff we talked about, I actually found a lot of that stuff appealing about the movie because a lot of generic romantic comedies just have like this really good guy who is just a good guy and so good that it's distracting. And like, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of liked the fact that he wasn't that good, really, and that she wasn't that good and that everybody in this movie is kind of crappy. Um, I'd probably give it like a like a 12. I feel like it wasn't like a it wasn't a masterpiece, but I think 
if I had seen this in the 90s, it would have been a much stronger romantic comedy than a lot of the other stuff that came out. Um, So, yeah, I feel like a 12 is right about good for me. So that's wild. I was going to give it a 12. Perfect. Then that's no debate needed. None. No, I'm totally with you for the exact same reasons. Like, I I completely agree with you. I I think it's a totally serviceable early to mid 90s romantic flick. Yeah. Uh, What about your cage score? You're going to answer this one first because I answered the last one first. So now this is one being completely serious, 20 being totally cagey. Okay. Just to remind everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think I think he was really quite good in this. Um, I think this is a really solid performance. I really believed this character. I think he really thinks that he's a nice guy and trying to be as good as he can possibly be. He really sold that across the board. No, he's not going to win any awards with this or anything like that. But I want to put this on the positive side. So I think I would give it like a nine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I probably, I was thinking a 10 because it was, you know, not like super serious dramatic acting, but it also wasn't, you know, super crazy. So I would say somewhere right in the middle. Yeah. Nine or a 10 is pretty perfect. All right. So this one is a 12 and a 9.5. So it's going to be pretty close to the middle of our scoring sheet. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is kind of a, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of, a lot of films in that center area. So. I mean, we'll see. We just got started. We're like 10% of the, uh, 1%. We're 1% of the way through the cage films at this point. Um, If you missed our first episode, we talked about the unbearable weight of massive talent, which is his newest flick as of this moment in time. So go check out that episode. Just a quick correction. We, you said he had over 200 films. He has 109 as of today. So what? Yeah. What did I say? I said you 200. said over 200. So, yeah. And you just said that it was less it's than 100%. But no, you're right. It's it's a, it's 109. I've got my list. You're absolutely yeah. right. So, yeah, we're, but we're going to get through him. It's going to take us plenty of time to get through him. And he's probably going to do 17 more a year. Good on him for working. I get <laughs> That's it. Right. That's exactly right. Nobody's judging. Now, well, not us. To pick our next film, we have The Wheel of Cage, where we have 16 Nicolas Cage movies, and I spin it on camera and post that to our social media, and it shows what movie we're going to watch next. But we always have to replace whatever it is that we watched. So we just covered uh, It Could Happen to You, and so now we need to pick what's going to happen next, what's going to be added to The Wheel. And so I thought I would just do that live right here and pick our name. So the next movie being added to the wheel oh it's pig oh boy man i hope that i don't know if i want to watch it again but (laughs) so i haven't seen it yet Uh, i know that's why i want i almost wanted to be picked but i don't know if i want to watch it again (laughs) (laughs) well i will for the show it could be a while because that that spin could come up you know who knows when so yeah that's a strong one for an early early review we'll see yeah, so pigs added to the wheel. Uh, so you can go and see what's on the wheel on our social media at coming of cage on all of our social media platforms. Ryan, is there anything else you'd like to add on this episode? No, it was a lot of fun talking about this. So, uh, you know, maybe we have a future discussing romantic comedies. Maybe, maybe a whole new venture for us. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, hey, we're the Coming of Cage podcast. I'm Derek. That was Ryan. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks to cover the next movie. Follow us on social media to find out what that is. 
and we will catch you all next time. Bye.